Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Herrick Holt with a message called A New People. I'd like to open this morning's message from John. This passage of scripture is always, always seems to have such a, a depth. It's profound. I, I read it many, many times. And John must have had a, a, an insight into things as he gives these words. And this, this is like a genesis of the church. And he opens the, uh, his passage of, the passage of Scripture, his book, unusual way to introduce his book, but uh, yet it's a, one of those magnificent touches of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And in the the time when Jesus came and he was speaking uh, to a man very knowledgeable in the events of the day. And this man calls on him because he was overcome by the way Jesus ministered. Uh, Jesus wasn't coming just alone to uh, wash away the sins. When Jesus came in the new birth, the incarnation, he was a he was the commencing of an entire new generation of people, an entire new line. And that is why when he was to speak to Nicodemus, Nicodemus filled with theology, filled with the customs of Israel, acquainted with all the, the legal aspects of the nation, sitting in the Sanhedrin with Joseph of Arimathea, they must have come together and wondered about this man and his teachings. His teachings were uh, divorced from anything that they were using. And so when he came to Jesus by night, because he feared his reputation, uh, he didn't want to come right out in the front. He didn't know whether he was really understanding it properly. And so he came in the back doorway to Jesus and the uh, he wanted to have that discussion with him. And John records it, and I am glad he did. He could have easily overlooked it, but this was a, one of those things that the inspiration allows you to see and hear and to see the value of it. And he said, there was a man, a Pharisee, and that gave you his theology right in one word, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews that gave you his state. This man was acquainted uh, with the, all the languages of the known area. He was acquainted with custom. He was in the judicial ranks and he had to be a very capable individual. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, 
We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The, I always thought that was an odd answer to give to the question asked by Nicodemus and what he was looking for. He didn't sat, sit down and say, I know you're a, you are one of those that belong to this, that, and the other, and give him all the, the degrees that he had from the university and his rating and so on. He came right to the point, and he said, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, And how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This man was a, uh, thought that he belonged to the kingdom. He was the house of Israel. They believed there was one God. They believed in all the Mosaic customs, all the Mosaic background. And yet here he is confronted with something he didn't even know. That is why uh, John could say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. This, the coming of Jesus, was, as I said at the beginning, was the changing of the entire uh, stream of humanity. He was going to take out of all of humanity a peculiar people, not, not a funny people, but peculiar, because they were going to start to live in the realm of the heavenlies. It ha he had to have... A, a new generation. He had to have a new genesis for the human race. Because the Adamic race was created uh, from, a, they were a living soul. They came uh, fully developed as a living soul. But here was the, a new genesis. Here was a, a race of people that could be born and be, be uh, embodied by their, the spirit being regenerated within them that they could comprehend what the new birth is all about. It is not just an ordinary thing to say, come and get born again, come. Uh, it has become a glib term. And you'll hear it oftentimes used over the, uh, over the television where they say this girl is a born again Christian and she's up there with her hair dyed like some barber from the lower regions would do and uh, paint their hair or do something, whatever they do, and, and stand it right up on end as though they're electronic, uh, a magnetic field above them lifting their hair up this way. Uh, and they jig and jive. When you're born again, you, that, that's an affront to your system. When you're born again, uh, vulgarity is an affront to your system. When you're born again, uh, to, to play around on the shady edges of what we call humor is an affront to the system that God is developing within you. To enter into licentiousness and, and to aggravate the whole system of life is a downtrend. Uh, to shack up 
and all those things is a downtrend to the human race. You belong to the Adamic fall. You're still, you're still locked into the Adamic fall. And the only way that you can get out of that fall is by a new birth. There's no other way. I don't care. You can be as pious as can be. You know when to bow and scrape in religious services. You know how to look serious and, and drab as though you'd lost your best friend when you're, you're involved with some religious activity. But that isn't, the, that isn't the new birth at all. The new birth is a transformation where the human spirit is regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The... Uh, We'll uh, have a drink. I have watched on the television where they've had someone uh, demonstrating the life support systems. And uh, I've been in hospitals and I've seen people with so many tubes and gadgets in them and being monitored, monitored on, the, on some electric device and you can see the beat of their heart and all the various other things and their temperatures. And they're, they're recorded. And this life support system, they can uh, inject into the vein structure of the anatomy uh, and, and drop or pour into the system something that will keep the body going. It, uh, that's external. But I, in the Adamic system, in the Adamic life, you live by a natural support system. And you can live a ripe old age and you, can, and you can enjoy all the functions of life from that system. But what new birth does to you, it, it starts another life system going in the anatomy. As Mother Merv recalled, uh, the the statement uh, I don't know where I picked up I think it was from uh, uh, from the great Augustine that he when he found that Jesus had risen uh, the records that were then available to him because he's in the third century he said he rose in physical form he had to rise in physical form because he was going to create a whole new human race he wasn't trying to get a lot of people just that could sing hymns and psalms and so on. They would do that. But he was making a whole Newman race of people indestructible, of people that could go beyond time, of people that could cope with the, the eternities, of people that could step from terra firma into the celestial fields and not even feel the bump, of people that would know uh, that they would know that they were being generated by a life that came from the outside via the Spirit. And so that Jesus said to these people that were, uh, were his disciples, he said, don't you go running out now after I am resurrected, but I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. People get emphasis on the power, the power to open the eyes of the blind, the power to raise the dead. That's not the power. It's the power of life that he's talking about. The power to change the entire anatomy. The power to make it so that sickness cannot touch you. 
the power that when you're tired, you can be infused with the life that comes via the Spirit. Your spirit has all the characteristics of the soul. But the soul is designed for the anatomy. The spirit is designed for the eternities. And you have a dual occupancy. And you can yield. Now we say, well, uh, oftentimes the term we, we, uh, we kind of take the attitude that we have to live a little bit carnal in the carnal sometimes. That, that is not true. The Calvary has taken care of carnality as it was quoted here. You, you can live, you can maybe go back a little into that thing and display something you're not supposed to display. And then you get sorry and then you enter into the other. God wants the permanency of residence of the Holy Spirit in you and, and to care for you and to guide you and to change you and to make you into his very image. The, the natural man or carnality cannot do that. It has no capabilities. If you live all your life in the realm of, the, of carnality, you'll never enjoy the things of the Spirit. Can't be done. The two are opposed one to the other. They're opposite poles. But the Spirit is made to change you and to change me. But as far as the power that they're looking for, the power to go out and work miracles, they are the gifts of the Spirit. Open door to us, that that door will swing wide open, that I can understand that embodied within me was the same person that stood on the edge of this great vast creation, and he just breathed over it. Just literally breathed over it. And the Spirit of God went over there and it pushed planetary systems into place. Everything that was related to this planet, he set the moon in the right direction and so on. And so that he could prepare it. I don't know whether he took a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand years to do it. I don't know. But that matters little to me. I was told the other day of a man that had uh, 25... Uh, Degrees lecturing on, on evolution in New York. And after a long uh, source of discourse, he said, you have to accept that there was a creator because ice floats. He said, if ice was to sink, it would freeze out all the life of this planet. He's done the study, I haven't, so you'll have to ask him to explain it to you. But he's then, after he finished his lecture, he turned to the book of Genesis, and he said, in the beginning, God. He said, that is the beginning. I say amen, too. Though I have no scientific ability, I say amen to that from an experience that a day came when I was to find Christ. Two men came around where I lived there, and they had their little black satchels and they said, we'd like to talk to you. I thought they wanted to sell me something. And so I asked them what they want. Well, they said, we want to talk to you about the kingdom. Do you believe in the kingdom? Of course, I believe in the kingdom. And so they said, uh, they talked on a number of things. And then he took out from his case and he had a little black book in there. They pulled it out and he showed me the back leaf of it. 
and it was from Shalmaneser down to the United Nation, and then a, a, a sphere that indicated the world. And he said, do you know about this history? I said, just like the back of my hand, what do you want to know about it? <laughs> and I, I do. All my life I have been in, involved in the loving of history. And so it's easy to make quotes from things that you sit on all the time. And so, and he said, well, you are a Trinitarian. And I said, no, I'm a Christian. And he said, do you believe in the Trinity? He sa I said, I certainly do. He said, uh, uh, what do you call the name of God? I said, there are many names he has. He has that when he wants to talk to you about a healer and so on and a creator. And I said, as Abraham saw him, like I would have often hoped that my heart could comprehend that he, ca he called him God Almighty. If my heart could comprehend that, there never ever be a quiver of fear go through me. And so he said, well, uh, do you believe in the spirit? Like he knew what I believed because that's why he must have come here. I said, I certainly do. I said, There's, there was a time in my life when I didn't know him at all. And then I was born again of the spirit of God and my life was to change. But I said, then there, there came another opportunity where I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And I said, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? He said, it's just like electricity. He said, that's all it is, it's a force. Now, can you imagine a man trying to teach somebody without the aid of the Holy Spirit, some spiritual issue, he's, as, he's still as dead as Adam was as far as heaven. After the fall, I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit has tremendous power, but he is a person. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. You try to grieve that electricity that goes through there. Just take a hold of a, a 220 line and it affects you more than that. Just take a negative and a positive of a 220 line and just try, just try to argue with it. It'll knock you flat on your back. That's right. But the Holy Spirit, as I speak to you this morning, can be grieved. He can fill your heart so full of joy you can't hardly contain yourself like he did to a man here last night. The Holy Spirit wants to, wants to operate through an anatomy uh, and guide you and direct you. And not only that, according to the scriptures, I want to read to you from, and this has become a wonderful passage in the scriptures to me. Paul speaking in the 8th chapter of Romans, he says, Now this is something you should believe. God is absolutely satisfied with Calvary. Absolutely satisfied with the death of his son. You cannot make any improvements on Calvary. And all the regulations that you come up with uh, are trying to help God in the cleansing of men from their sin. Calvary is a complete dismissal of sin. A complete cancellation. If somebody would come in and pay all of my debts, just give me the receipts like this here, and I would not be bothered with my debts at all. They would be finished with, and I have the receipt. And when your sins were washed away on Calvary, 
That was a marvelous act of God. He didn't leave that to the blood of bulls and goats, which could cover you for 12 months. But he took away your sins. The memory of them that he had and recorded, they, they were put behind his back, never to remember them anymore against you. So we've, we've got, when you do away with that, you do away with fear. You do away with anxieties. And you have something concrete. That's why you need the records to, for you to go back over and to see what God has done. But I am sure that if I could be transported back 2,000 years, a little less than 2,000 years, and walk down the Via della Rosa and see that man carrying that cross, and, and I possibly would wonder about this thing, and see him nailed to, a, to the cross, see him put in that tomb there, and then roll the stone against it, and put the seal of Rome there, I would have said in my heart, like the disciples, oh, that I, I would have thought because of his teachings, he would have brought salvation to the world. I, didn't, I wouldn't be able to comprehend any more than they, that Jesus by the incarnation had laid aside his deity and he had re reduced himself. This I do not know how he could do. I haven't the slightest idea how, how that could happen to deity. But he laid aside his deity and laid aside his honor and position. He laid it lower than the angels and became as a slave, it said, in the original. Lord him down now to where he was a servant. He tells you that. He testifies that he is. And then... He made it possible that he would live 30 some odd years where he was subjected to, to, uh, to being killed. He could easily have died. And through the scriptures you find here and there where he hid himself and where he stepped out of the crowd and he made it so that they couldn't find him until the hour when he was just hours away, he said to his disciples, I have needs go to Jerusalem. And then he relates about his death. They couldn't understand that. But here was, here was deity being reduced to humanity. It sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like something out of the Arabian Nights. Sounds like some magic that, uh, that one of the old writers of stories could have come up with. But it wasn't, it wasn't magic. It was a process that God had started to bring a, a Redeemer onto the horizon of men to make a change because they constantly were unable to walk with him. Then after his death, I am sure those disciples wondered about it. They walked down the Emmaus Road, two of them, and they said to themselves, I surely thought that he would have saved Israel. They possibly were watching for some great act of God where he would knock all those Rome, that Roman Empire right in the head and introduce a new order to, to Israel and set up an entire new kingdom. But he didn't. He went by the cross. 
And after they'd buried him in the tomb and these men mused about what had happened, two of them walking down to the Emmaus Road were very sorrowful. The third day had gone by. Resurrection morn had come. And he'd come by the, the, the Holy Spirit had brought him back into life. And the, some, I believe this man here, Schofield, does not believe that Jesus was totally man. But somewhere in the fabric of his life, he was part deity. But that wouldn't, that wouldn't restore you. Because you are totally man after the Adamic race. And he was going to create a new race with an entire new genetic system. And so he was fully man. And when he was raised from that stone slab and the stone was rolled away that Easter morning and these men had not heard of this wonderful resurrection and they were full of grief. Oh, such grief that they walked slowly to their own home. And as they walked, this stranger came and stood with them. And he said, why are you sorrowful? And they said, haven't you heard the news? The only news that you should be hearing, that this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, has been killed on the cross and he was buried in that tomb. We staked our entire hopes in him. And then he, this man started to unfold the, uh, the record concerning his life. And all these things. And their hearts warm within them. And then when by the time he'd finished talking, their journey was finished. And when they went in the house, as you know well, and they sat down to the evening meal because it was dark. And when he broke bread, he opened their eyes so they could see who he really was. Oh, what a vision. What a vision of this man that is so changed that this man now had the capacity of coming right through the, the solid materials that I don't understand. How he could come into a room and be transported. But this man did tremendous miracles. This man was a man that did things. He had taken corruption. A, a body that smelled so bad they had to cover the tomb. And uh, their parent, their relatives said when he told them to open the tomb up, they said, you can't open that tomb up. There's no way you can open that tomb. You'd never be able to stand the stench of his body. He said, oh, roll away the stone. And then he called the man by name. And the man rolled off the slab and shuffled his way up to the entrance. And Jesus said, cut him loose. This man has been testified about in the scriptures where he said, Mortality will put on immortality, and corruption will put on incorruption. When we find a man or a woman totally shot through uh, by a cancerous situation, uh, and the doctor said it, it's terminal, we accept it being terminal. I hope someday our hearts will be so strong in our trust and our confidence in him that you can reverse the whole situation just the same as Jesus reversed it. The way we will understand about this life is for us to walk all of our life in the realm of the Spirit. 
so that he can infuse us and transfuse us with his life. It cannot just be a, a teaching, some dogma, some creed. It's got to go beyond that. Like the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I had no trouble with that man that wanted to talk to me about the Holy Spirit being just some type of, of energy electricity. I told him I was filled with the Spirit. I know the experience. I know what it was to speak with tongues. I know what that experience was. So all of his arguments wouldn't have meant anything if he stayed all day. That is something that is embodied within me. The Holy Spirit lives within my heart. The mystery of it I cannot understand. I do not understand it. But I have felt his power. I have felt his presence. I have talked with him and he has talked with me and he's talked with you. If you ever want to hear the voice of God, you, God said to Moses, when I talk to people, or he was talking to somebody that uh, disputed Moses' power, and he said, when I talk to people, I give them visions and I give them dreams. This was quoted already in the, in the meeting. But to Moses, I talk mouth to mouth. You, we think that is wonderful. I have heard the voice of God by prophecy. I have heard him speak to us by prophecy. That's why you should stand in awe on prophecy. Not walk around or pare your fingernails or fiddle around with your hair and so on. But you should stand in literally in awe at prophecy and wonder what God is doing and talking to you. When he said, I opened a new door, it should grip your heart so nothing else could grip your heart. Looking for the door to open. Open to you. Otherwise, if that door doesn't open to you, I can guarantee they'll bury you. I'll guarantee you that. You cannot push that, that life system that I have in the physical any farther than a few years. But I do not know what it would be like to be filled with that life that comes where mortality will be swallowed up by immortality. I do not know. But I want that experience. God knows I want that experience. God knows my heart craves for that experience. Not because I'm nearly 80 years of age. That doesn't mean anything to me. Because he is, I laid flat on my bed there for weeks. I couldn't even, uh, couldn't even scratch my nose. The doctor said, it looks like he's had it. But there came a day when, when I heard a, a simple voice, I am the Lord that healeth thee. You could write it on a stamp. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And there was no physical change until one day I noticed that the pain had subsided. And that rheumatic condition is bad. It can really tear you apart. I'll tell you an account that I read in Dr. Price's uh, record. And Dr. Price, I believe, is really the real forerunner of the move of the Spirit. I've often thought, that gentleman that had the, such a powerful gift of healing. But he never writes like Price. His, his, uh, one of his last articles on identification is so profound. You read it and read it and read it and read it. And, and it, you're drawing something out of it all the time. Identification. He was identifying you 
uh, coming through the channel of the incarnation where Jesus was to put on humanity and then so that he could put upon you deity. And he's talking about you being involved in a life from deity. For this woman I want to talk about very well, strong, and one day a few little things started to miss, non-function in the body, and she was not flat by uh, a rheumatic arthritic condition, and uh, after a while the pain was so intense she couldn't even sit down. She tried to walk, but she couldn't walk, it hurt her so bad. And she was overcome by this continuous pain, so bad that three doctors literally gave her up, tried to tranquilize her, but they had to pretty well take her into an unconscious state before she'd be free of pain. And she carried on like this. Ten years she was racked in pain, bedridden, and unable to feed herself. And her husband would try to lift up her head, and it was so terrible a pain, she didn't even want him to touch her. One day she heard about a camp meeting and somehow the story came through to her uh, about people being he healed. So she went, uh, uh, she, this time she was hospitalized, so she had the ambulance take her to the meeting. When she was in there, she was just laying out on, their, on the cot that they brought her in with. And she listened to the meeting and the Spirit of God was on this man, Brother Price. And she realized that she had never found Jesus. Though she'd been a good Methodist, but in her heart she had never been touched with him. So as she said to her husband, I want to go to the altar. Oh, how can you go to the altar? She said, I don't care how you, you're going to take me. I want to go to that altar. I must go to that altar. And so they slowly got her to the altar. And she lay down beside it a little bit there. And they come and they asked her about being saved. And she said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Like Nicodemus, Jesus said, you better give your life to me so you can be born again. So you can be born of my spirit. And that night she was born of the spirit and filled with the joy. She went home back to the hospital. Next day, next two or three days, she came from the hospital there and she sat under the glow of that. Then one, one day she said to your husband, I want you to take me up in your arms and lay me beside the altar. Well, dearie, do you really want that? Yes, she said, I want that. That's what Brother Wager was telling you to make that public stand for Christ. And there she laid by the altar, kind of slumped up against it. And Brother Price stood by her, and the Spirit of God came upon her, and she was filled with a glory like she'd never been filled with in her life, fully illuminated from a power from outside of her, and filled her to overflowing. She said to her husband, I want you to put me on my knees. He said, dear, you've never been on your knees for years. She said, I don't care. I want you to put me on my knees. She knelt on her knees there without any pain. And she praised God. And she said to her husband, I want you to help me to stand up. He said, dear, you'll fall flat on your face. She said, I want to stand up. And she stood up. 
And she said to her husband, I want to walk all around this big auditorium. Oh dear, you, you, are you well? Yes, he said, I, I walk around all this auditorium. So she started out slowly and she came all around. She walked up the ramp to the outside where her car was there, where it was prepared to take her back. She opened the door and sat down in the seat there by her husband, something she'd never done for years. And absolutely free of pain. What a thousand surgeons couldn't do, it was wrought in a few moments at an altar when a heart was open to receive that, that individual, that person, the Holy Spirit that would come in and take over the full anatomy and give her the restoration of her life. I believe the church is a candidate for that kind of life. I don't think it's fanciful talking to you this morning, for I want to read it from the oracles. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There is a spirit of life. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from another law, the law of sin and of death. This last enemy, I don't know how he is dealt with. The last enemy that has been recorded is death. But according to the scriptures, Jesus has overcome death. And I cannot see why it shouldn't be incorporated in what I'm going to read. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh condemns the thing, condemned this particular life in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I don't think you have any option. The only option. You cannot take either one. You must, you must walk in the realm of the Spirit entirely. Not Sunday and then go back Monday uh, to kicking the cow in the shins and slapping your wife because she spent too much money or being hostile to your neighbor because he, he did something to your property. There is a spirit, the same spirit that's in Christ Jesus come, becomes the same spirit that comes in the body of Christ. Which Brother Doug spent two messages to teach you on the body of Christ. This temple isn't to be uh, to down talk. This temple comes by peculiar design. It's a masterpiece of creation. It excels all the rest of creation. This body. The capabilities of this body excels all the imaginations of men in the computer industry. What my brain and mind is capable of. And so God doesn't want you. This body, he said, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It means any of it is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't belong to Eric Holt. My mother was a very wonderful woman. And she had great hopes by pinning names on us that 
who came from the, the realm of the theologians and clergy, so she put Herrick on me because he was a very prominent Anglican clergyman. She was never to know how I felt about the garb of such a gentleman. Then I have another brother who was called Wilberforce, Basil Wilberforce. And uh, Wilberforce also was another supreme in the Anglican ranks. He has yet to bow his knee that I know of to God. He is self-sufficient. He has all the money he needs and they tour and travel and so on. But some some uh, dignitary he has become, hasn't he? At least I have found something that excels all that. But as he got uh, a little older and uh, had found Christ, then the next brother that came along uh, was James. So she got to the records. Now we have a little quality added to the family tree. And to excel that, she dipped away into antiquity and she comes up with David and she sticks it on the, the label on the last boy. There's quite a difference between David right now and Herrick. It's quite a difference. I have found a, a rank of ministry that I never dreamed existed, never dreamed possible, and never ever even had the slightest hope of entering into. But somehow, by the hand of providence, he moved things in such a way that I was to be able to share in an end-time revival unequal in the church history. And if anybody wants to contradict that, there isn't anything in the journals of church history, whether it's in Wales, Scotland, England, America, wherever it may be, that compares to this last outpouring of Joel. None. And so, being filled with this Holy Spirit, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For what? Uh, for they that are in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be uh, carnally minded or naturally minded is death. You can't escape it. You can't escape. Death's already built right into your system. I lost a boy uh, that was just months old. Death was embodied in him the day he was born. The power, the, the power of death was there. And if you walk in that realm, either you don't stand a ghost of a chance of entering into the realm that Paul is relating to the church. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, so that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Doesn't matter how wonderful he is. There are a lot of wonderful people that only live in the law or, or in the soulless life. We have men that have created great empires for the medical world to alleviate pain that don't know the spiritual experience. There are a lot of good men in there. But I'm not talking about a good men. I am talking about a new generation of people. A whole new generation that Jesus came to give to the earth. And that's why this good man, Nicodemus, and Joseph of Arimathea, I'll tell you how good they were. When they found that Jesus was crucified, 
and was hanging on a cross. It came, they, their eyes were open that this was the Christ. And they, they turned away from their, their Jewish faith. And it cost them everything that they had. They were stripped of all their authority. They were stripped of their judicial ranks. They had nothing that they'd all, they'd worked all their life and school for. But I'll guarantee you that these two men will stand in that day in that great company, the Church of the Firstborn. If the Spirit, if, if Christ be in you, the body is dead. That it means the activity of the natural man is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. I remember my wife and I were sitting in a cafe uh, and I wasn't thinking of spiritual things. We're just talking about natural things. And uh, we were having lunch and the, the booth in the cafe was kind of a, a U-shape. And in that corner there was a, a couple of men, an elderly man, well not too old, middle-aged, and a young man in his 30s. And uh, on our side, we, my wife and I were just sitting. We had ordered, but we hadn't received it. The others had ordered and their food was there. And we weren't paying too much attention until there was a, a groan. And the young lad started shaking his friend and shouting, Don't die, Jim. Don't die, Jim. Don't die, Jim. Jim, don't die. Shake, help, help. Get me an ambulance. Get me a doctor. He filled the whole cafe with this noise of his. And nobody seemed to go to him. I felt sorry for him that he was troubled. I didn't know what his trouble But by now the man was gone. So I went over to him. And the first thing that came to my mind, I said to the young man, do you believe in prayer? Yes, I believe in prayer. Yes, yes, yes. I, he believed anything right about that. <laughs> so we laid hands on that man. And I had hardly got my hand on him when I felt that shunt of the spirit go right through my body. And it shook him. I don't know whether he was dead or unconscious or what he was. I, hadn't, I wouldn't have known if I'd have felt his pulse or anything. Nothing I could have done for him. But I felt this, that shunt of the spirit go right through him. And all of a sudden he, his eyes opened. He woke up and he sat up. And he was, this lad was still shouting for the ambulance. And he calmed down. He said, I don't want an ambulance. I don't need an ambulance. <laughs> he walked out of there. And to this day, I don't know who he is. I went... I went to eating. <laughs> Let that be for God because it's nothing in me. But if that spirit, the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead, you see, it was the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your heavenly body? No, no, your mortal body. So that when, if you were to say we were all to go by, uh, by some translation this morning into the heavenly realm, when you would take the hand of Jesus, it would be exactly like yours. The only thing now, it's entirely energized by the Spirit. And I, it must be that the the Holy Spirit can change the substance of the body that, that he can go through 
solid matter. And time means nothing to him. He can go wherever he would like. Today he can be with you. And today he can be with every local church that's meeting. Marvelous, marvelous thing. Without the resurrection, he'd been localized. That that Holy Spirit that dwells in you, he said, but if the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken our, your mortal body by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. That's my message to you before you depart. And as you take the communion, you testify to his death. And, and this morning, I want you that are filled with the Spirit, when you bow your knee, I want you to start to God, to say to God, let that life of the Holy Spirit that now embodies me start to make the change within the anatomy. Not say, I want faith that somebody can lay hands on me. I believe, I believe that the world needs your hands. They have no God. They have no refuge. Like that man that, that was raised there. I don't know what his need was. But the laying on of hands, I'll never forget the ascent of the Spirit. But uh, he would have possibly gone on to his rewards, whatever they were, I wouldn't know. But they need your hand. But I think as the God testified by prophecy, that, that was God speaking to us. The door, new door. When he said that years ago, this is, these two doors are nearly 40 years apart. Are you aware of that? We'll soon have come to 40 years. And I don't know why he uh, oftentimes uses 40. I, I don't put a great stock in it, but it's the strange character of the scriptures. The rain, 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, you can go on and on about them. But I don't want to do that. But we're in a new day. A new door can open. New experiences. I wouldn't want to have missed the outpouring of spiritual gifts. I wouldn't want to have missed that at all. When I was uh, prophesied over, I didn't realize that what God would do. It were new. Everything was new at that time. I thought, oh God, I'm, I hope you don't reveal all my iniquity. Because there's sure a load of it back there. But in, you know what he said to me? I love you. I love you. And I started to cry and I couldn't stop crying. My wife started to cry and she couldn't stop crying. And then prophecies that came by one of the man that one man that's gone on to glory, Brother Alcock, and uh, oh, there's several that prophesied over us. And he gave these gifts. He said in the prophecy, I remember, I think it was Brother Berg said, I see Brother Holt going to China or, or the Orient. I think it was Brother Berg, I don't remember. Uh, if I'm not right, uh, you'll know. I'm not too sure. But they said that, and it was, it was all of 10 to 15 years before I ever went to China. But in my heart, it was there. I was in China. Those prophecies have all been fulfilled. They, they said there would be a gift of faith within me. And I have seen the gift work time and time again. So some things work ordinarily. Uh, I don't know why that is. It just seems an ordinary function. But I want you to, when you hear people prophesy, I want you, especially under that mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
And you that have the gift of prophecy, you're supposed to wait on that thing and not come up with some mumbo-jumbo or no anointing which you've got in the glow of a meeting and uh, it comes out kind of uh, flat and you talk it out. There should be, a, as I say, that shunt behind the, the gift of prophecy. It should be gripping the heart of the prophet. I'm quite sure when the prophet said, Unto you a, a, son, a child is born, unto you a son is given. And, and it was written down. I am sure there was such inspiration when they were writing that the, the pen could quiver under the hand of Barak. Oh, this is a great age. And I want you to know today that that spirit that embodies you can start a new, a new system, a new, a, a new order of life. In that, in the Holy Spirit, there is such wealth of knowledge. Oh, I always, I always, uh, when I hear a man talk on those great issues of life, not a theologian, I don't listen to many theologians, because they set up an argument. And the subject that I am talking to you on this morning, they, the first thing that would come to their mind would, it's given unto men wants to die. Glorious experience. I thrill with it. I hope that when I, when they put me in that coffin, they, they get the trombones. I saw a colored funeral down in, in Alabama. And uh, they had the trombones and they were following the coffin behind and they were singing, shall, uh, playing, shall we get, gather, is that right? Shall we gather at the river? And they were going with everything in it. Hmm? When the saints go marching in and they were putting it on there and there wasn't a tear being shed anywhere, why cry for me? After all, you don't, if you looked at a tire with a blowout in it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cry about that. You'd throw it away. Amen. Shall we gather at the river where the da 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 No, no, humbug, humbug, humbug. No way, no way. I do not look for that experience. If it comes, it will come with the same dignity that has come to all the other saints. I shall lay down my head and I shall draw up my feet and I shall kiss my wife goodbye and I'll say to you when you come through the pearly gates I'll be waiting for you. I'll show you all those eternal flowers. I'll show you the water systems of the of those great planets around us and you and I shall know the realm of eternity together. I hope I hope I can have a little bit to do with her on the other side. I really do. I miss her so much when she's not around. <laughs> she said to me, and I shouldn't tell on her, I have, she bought me a gift with a, a tie pin in here. You know the kind of those with that? And that's the hardest thing to put on. My fingers are, are thick. They're not um, those uh, penis kind of things. So I look in the mirror and I'm going the wrong way on the thread and it falls off. Then I look on the carpet for this little bit of a nut that you can hardly find. <laughs> so she said to me, she said, if I wasn't around, she said, you'd never wear that shirt and put that in. And I said, you can believe that. 
<laughs> That's right. So you see, she's a real helpmate. Brother uh, Art or Doug, who's coming? And Brother brother Bob will take care of the, of the communion. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.